Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I've been a sports fan for years. Uh, probably, a, actually, this is a true confession. The very first Super Bowl I remember watching was when the Cowboys played the Baltimore Colts in the 60s. And I actually pulled for the Cowboys. And they lost. It's like, it's like, it's a, it's like a karma thing. But one of the things I, I follow in sports is, is watching all the changes that take place after the football season. And man, there's coaches coming and going. And every coach that Aren't you glad, though, for Texan fans, we're not going to lose a coach this year. We've got a coach, and we've got, and we've got a team. We've got a quarterback. And How about them Texans? So, uh, <laughs> I, I always love the fact that the, if I ever want to get amens, I just mentioned the Texans in here. And, <laughs> can I get a witness, somebody? Uh, anyway. Uh, going back to the message, uh, the idea is, is that every time a new coach comes in, they always talk about creating a different culture and a different environment. And usually if, if a coach has been losing, then the new coach who comes in talks about the fact that he said, I'm gonna, we're going to create a winning culture here and it's going to be a winning environment. They're talking about changing the way things are done and changing the atmosphere in the locker room, changing the atmosphere in the organization. That's what they hire new coaches for, to change things. And I thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a coach, you're not a coach, but, and maybe you are, but, but the idea is that we, we may not be coaching a team, but we are responsible for the atmosphere and the culture in our own life. And this morning, I want to talk about changing some of the culture in our own life, creating a, a better environment, a different environment. I, I think one of, the, one of the big things is that we're going to change a an environment, we want an environment that produces growth and change. And so here's a couple of factors involved. You want an environment that's more focused on learning than perfection. If it's focused on perfection, it kind of tightens people up. But learning and growing, man, that's a great environment. You, people have the freedom to make mistakes, but then we're learning in this. You want, a, you want an environment where people are willing to take risks, or you're willing to take risks. If you're not willing to take risks, you, you won't accomplish much. And so there's always a risk associated with things. And when I say risk, I mean reasonable risk. A man took his wife and his mother-in-law to Israel. That was their big dream trip. And while they were visiting Jerusalem, the mother-in-law actually passed away. And the man was visiting with the funeral home there in Jerusalem. And, and the director told him, he said, he said, sir, he said, here in Jerusalem, we love Americans. We love how you guys support Israel. And we actually have something that, that it's, a, it's a little known benefit. If you have a loved one that dies in Jerusalem, we will bury them here completely free. Coffin, plot, everything, completely free. And uh, the man said, how much, how much to ship her home? He said, it's gonna cost you about 15,000 to ship her home. The man said, ship her home. The, the director said, sir, do you realize that we're talking, you could, you could bury her here for free versus paying the 15000 to ship her home. The man said, ship her home. He said, 2,000 years ago, a man died in Jerusalem, and three days later, he's alive. He said, I cannot take that risk. 
my mother-in-law was in the first service and I'm like, mom, I love you. It's not you. She's Italian. She still has connections. I need my kneecaps. And so, but you have to be willing to take risk. And I think the third thing is you have to be willing to move past mistakes. If you do anything, you're going to make mistakes in life. But if you have a, a, the right environment, a growth environment, a change environment, a positive environment, it, it gives you the ability to move past the mistakes, and that's what we want. But there's, there's one factor that's the overarching factor in all of this, and that is if you're going to have a really great environment, it needs to be the absence of fear. You see, fear constricts us, causes us to be worried about not being perfect, or causes us to be afraid to take risk and reach out and do something and because you run the risk of something, it, it causes us to fixate on mistakes. And so if there's not fear there, if fear's not present, then you're really creating a great at atmosphere. And, you know, people have been trying to get rid of fear for years. There was actually a group in Austria a number of years ago that were having a, a, a you-can-do-anything kind of self-help seminar. And, they, and the deal was at the end of the seminar, they were going to walk barefoot across 32 feet of burning hot coals. And their whole mantra was, if you can walk across hot coals on bare feet, you can do anything. And that sounds good, except for the seven people that went to the hospital with severe burns on their feet. They were trying to get rid of the fear. But maybe there's a different strategy. Instead of just focusing on the fear, I've got to get the fear out of my life, what if we focused on building our faith? See, Jesus, when he was on a trip with the disciples and got in the boat, he went to the back of the boat, he goes to sleep, and a big, big storm comes up. And the Bible says that the waves are covering the boat, and it scared the disciples. And, and they woke him up. They said, Lord, we're, basically, we're dying here. Look what Jesus says to them. He said, why are you fearful? Oh, you of a little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He said, why are you guys so afraid? And so basically what we're seeing is the, the, the greater the faith the less the fear. So a lot of times, instead of focusing on get rid of, get rid of fear, we want to focus on the things that build our faith. The greater the faith, the less the fear. A number of uh, years ago, wasn't that long ago, Joy was walking in the woodlands in the river, the, the, down by the river, the river walk area there. And uh, they were preparing to have a big festival that day for the kids. And as she was walking in the sidewalk there, there was a copperhead snake. Looked like a, a it wasn't huge, she said. It looked like it was a baby, but those are the more, most poisonous. And so Joy didn't kill it. She went and found someone to kill it. And she found a ranger. She said he was eating an apple. He's an older man. He had, she had to be in his 70s. Eating an apple, wearing tennis shoes. He said, sir, there's a snake here. And the, guy, the ranger came with her, and he said, I see it. And just he took a bite of his apple and just stepped on the snake and squashed it. And Joy was, Joy was impressed. She was like, sir, she said, in fact, she said she walked away, but then she went back to him. She said, I don't understand how you did that, how you were just so casual about killing that snake. He said that, she said, interesting thing. He said, he just put his arm around her. He said, as believers, our faith has to be bigger than our fear. And Joy, Joy looked at him. She said, she said, Alan, she said, I swear, I looked at his name tag and it was fuzzy. She said, I looked at him and said, are you an angel? She said, he did this. 
Now, listen, if someone accused you of being an angel, well, you go, dude, no, he just went like this. We've never been able to find him again. If he's an, you say, well, what if he wasn't an angel? Well, what he said was still very valuable. Your faith has to be bigger than your fear. This morning, I, I want to give you a story in the Bible that I want to look at it from a different perspective. I want to talk about how a, a man's faith grew and what caused it to grow. It created an environment in his life that, that created some great change. The story is, is one of my favorites. It's actually the story of Zacchaeus. And we've sung the song. I used to sing the song in, in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anybody ever ever sing that? A wee little man was he. He climbed up into a... The Lord he wanted to... Yeah, it kind of it dumbs down the story. Um, <laughs> makes it real sweet. I, I think there's more to it than that. Let's read the, the story here. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, because he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste or hurry up and come down for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained saying, he's gone to be the guest with the man who is a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, the reason I said that song kind of makes a real sweet story as Zacchaeus is you don't get to be a chief tax collector and be a nice guy. You see, the tax collectors in that day, it's not like working for the IRS. You were working for the enemy. The Romans would come in. They were dominating the nation. They ruled over the nation, and the Romans would tax the people. But the Romans used Jews to collect money from their fellow Jews. They used, and so that these Jewish tax collectors were actually working for the Romans. And say, for example, your tax bill was $5,000. They would come to you and go, hey, your tax bill is seven. They'd give the Romans the five. They would take the two. And they became rich that way. And the Jews hated them. And Zacchaeus, he is the chief tax collector, which means he's the boss over all the tax collectors. They don't give you that because they like you. They give you that because you get stuff done. And he was a man who was motivated by money. You don't become a tax collector because you love people. You become a tax collector because you want money. And money was big to Zacchaeus. He was rich, he was hated, and he was hungry. He had a desire in his heart. He, even though he was so wealthy, he still had a desire to see who Jesus was. He'd heard about Jesus, that Jesus was a prophet. I mean, there were crowds coming to see Jesus. He worked miracles. He did amazing things. He was a prophet. But he also heard that Jesus was different from the religious people that had already rejected Zacchaeus. See, boy, Zacchaeus, if he'd showed up in the, in the synagogue, they would have blasted him. They hated him because he was helping the Romans. And so he wanted to see about this Jesus because Jesus was different. Now, he obviously had a desire because when he went to see Jesus, nobody would let him through the crowd. He's trying to jump. He's a little guy and he's trying to jump over and see him. Nobody's letting him through. So he runs and climbs up a tree. If you're the wealthiest guy in town, you don't climb trees. But he, he had a desire. There was a hunger in his heart and he had an encounter with Jesus that absolutely changed his life. 
He's up in that tree and Jesus sees him and Jesus comes, stands under the tree and calls him by name. He didn't just go, hey, you. He just went, Zacchaeus, I need you to come down. I need you to stay in your house. Just by coming under that tree and calling his name, he's sending Zacchaeus the message that God cared about him. He's communicating that God actually cared about this man. And then he didn't just come down. He said, I need to stay in your house. In the Middle Eastern cultures, that's huge. To stay or go to someone's house and eat, to go to someone's house, that's the biggest one, the biggest honor. Well, you know that. You don't let, let just anybody in your house. You let people you really want in there. And the fact that he would come and sit in Zacchaeus' house and have a meal and talk with Zacchaeus communicated not just honor, but it communicated a personal, personal relationship. That Jesus, the most important religious figure of that day, actually wanted to have a relationship with Zacchaeus. And when he knew God loved him, and when he knew that he was important and it was important to Jesus, it changed his whole perspective on money. He lost the fear of money. You see, when you stand up and say, I'm going to give half my stuff to the poor, giving half my goods to the poor, money no longer has a grip on you. And you're not holding on to it. When he said, if I've done anybody wrong, I'm going to restore them fourfold, that money no longer has your God. It no longer. And so Zacchaeus, who had had a fear of money, that was his, that was his biggest thing, his fear. Listen, fear is not just what we run from. Fear is what we cling to. And he's clinging to that money. But when he knew that Jesus loved him, when he knew that God loved him, he was not rejected. It gave him the freedom to go, I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to restore relationships. It changed his entire environment. What happens for us? We want our environment to change. We're like, Alan, my deal is I've got to get the fear out. There's just too much fear. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about getting the fear out changing the environment, a better environment. Here's the first thing we see right here. Choose to believe that God loves you personally. Now, when I say that, you know, this, this is church, and we're like, okay, okay. I mean, that's a no-duh, Alan. We get it. God loves, you know, we love, we've been singing about Jesus loves the little children, God loves. I, I think if you ask most Christians, does God love you? They would say yes. But listen, guys, we really need to make this where God just loves us personally. Because we secretly may harbor the idea that he loves some people more than he does love us. That he loves people like Justin who can sing and Joy who's perfect. <laughs> he, Christian celebrities, that he loves them more. And what happens is we have to believe, believe, choose to believe that God loves us as much as he loves Joy, or Justin, or me, or anyone else, that he loves us personally. But here's what we have to get past. We have to choose to believe that in the face of our mistakes and our weaknesses. See, a lot of times we're more conscious of what we do wrong than God's love for us. A family adopted an, an older girl from an orphanage in another country where she had been treated horrifically. If you know anything about some of the orphanages in some of the nations of the world, they're horrible. When they brought her home, to their home, they explained to her that part of her responsibility was she was going to have to clean her room every day. And she fixated on that. Every day she would get up in the morning and she would clean her room. And, and her parents said when they would come in her room, it was immaculate. And when she'd be sitting on the bed and she would say, see, my room is clean. 
Do you love me? Can I stay? Well, as a parent, you hear that stuff, that just breaks your heart. And it took her a little while to begin to understand that the parent's love for her was not based on what she did and not based on how clean she could keep her room, that the parent's love for her was based on their love for her. Listen, guys, we have to get to the place where we believe that it's because God loves us so much. It's not because of our being perfect. It's not because we've done everything right. It's because he is love. This is what John wrote when he said here in John, John 1, he's writing, he said, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's a, but the first part is what I want you to focus on. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. One of the biggest things you can ever do is believe that God loves you. When Zacchaeus began to believe that God actually cared for him, it changed the fear level in his life. And when you believe that God loves you, it'll begin to change the fear level. When you know you're loved, man, it changes everything. Here's the second thing, and this is just real practical. Express your faith, not your fears, not your feelings. It's so easy to go negative. I was talking with a guy the other day. We were just sitting there. And he went negative, and I went negative, and we were just, all of a sudden, I, I ended the conversation. I thought, man, it's so easy to go negative. It's so easy to talk about what we're afraid of. It's so easy to talk about what we fear. This is just real simple. We want to talk what we believe, not what we're afraid of. In Proverbs 18, 21, here's, here's, here's the principle behind that. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We don't want to speak words of death. We don't want to go, I'm just so afraid and I just don't know if the Lord loves me and I just don't know if, if this and I feel like I pray and my prayers hit the ceiling and we, we express all these things. We need to be expressing, no, I believe God loves me. He's good to me. He's good to my family. He loves my family. If you hired a coach and a coach came in, you ever hear how they talk when they come in? We're going to win championships here. We're going, to get, we're going to get this thing turned around because this is a great institution and we're going to lift it up to a level where the academics and the athletics are, and they'll, they'll just go on and on. Here's what they don't do. They don't walk in and go, our offensive line is pretty bad and we've lost a lot of people in our secondary. We're going to get killed this year, but if you give me just a few years, maybe we can get this turned around. You have a coach that talks like that, Everyone's going to hit the transfer portal. Everybody's going out. Nobody's going to stay. Why? Because there is no faith in that. It's not helping you to express your fears. When you express your fears, it establishes it. It doesn't get rid of it. So just begin to speak. The Lord's good. You say, well, Alan, I just don't, I just don't feel like when I say that, that it's true. Listen, you're saying it based on what he said. You're saying it based on his love, not your feelings. And as you begin to say, what you're going to find is feelings follow. Remember this, feelings are a much better follower than they are a leader. Don't let them lead your words. Here's the third one. And this is maybe the most important thing. Make your relationship with the Lord very personal. Your relationship with him. Well, if there's anything that can really help. I, I know a lot of times people come to church and, and they'll try church. I'm going to try church. I'm going to, I'm going to see if church turns things around in my life. And we came for three weeks and the marriage didn't get better, so we gave up. You don't want to try church. You want to receive Jesus. You want to make that relationship with him personal. 
You see, when he sat in Zacchaeus' house and he looked at Zacchaeus and he talked with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus realized, God wants to have a relationship with me? It changes things. When you realize the Lord wants to have a relationship with you, personal, it changes things. There's a verse we used to, to read in, in, in the Baptist church and they used to do it at the altar calls. This is the time when the pastor would give people an invitation to come forward. And it's found here in Revelations 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Anyone ever heard that verse before? Ever heard people say, The Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. Will you open it up and let the Lord in? And, and, they, and they're taking that for salvation. That applies for salvation. No doubt about it. You got to The Lord's not going to barge into our life and make you get saved. It's not going to make me get saved. But I don't believe it's talking as much about salvation as it's talking about fellowship, relationship. He didn't say, behold, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and save you. He said, I'll come in and dine with you. That's fellowship. That the Lord will actually come in and have a personal relationship with you. you say, well, how, how, how does that work? Well, you can talk to him. You can, you can read his words. You can talk to him like he actually cares for you because he actually does. And as you begin to do that, what you begin to realize is you're building your life like we sang this morning. You're building your life on one who will not fail you, who will not drop you, who will not leave you, who will not abandon you, one who cares for you and loves you. And our faith then is this not in what my church says or my denomination. My faith is not in a belief system. My faith is in a person. And when our faith is in a person, it begins to put the fear to rest. Open up your heart and let him come in and have a personal relationship with you. Say, Alan, if I do that, I'll get weird. You won't get weird. <laughs> Listen, becoming more Christ-like will not make you weird. It will make you wonderful. The idea that this is personal, the idea that God loves you, the idea that he cares for you. Joy was telling me about a group that she listens to a lot of times. Every time they read the scriptures, they say things like this. The Lord who loves you would say to you, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with him. The Lord who loves you would say to you. What a great way to read your Bible. The Lord who loves me is saying to me, Kevin Young wrote a story back in the 80s about attending a Special Olympics. Special Olympics, it was the 400-meter race. He said that was one time around the track, and all the, all the participants were gathering. And He said a man just a couple of rows in front of him in his section stood up and went, Lenny, he's wearing a three-piece suit. He went, Lenny, Lenny. He said a, an overweight, middle-aged, Down syndrome man looked up. And, and the dad was yelling, Lenny. He said, when the race started, everyone took off. Everyone leaped forward except Lenny. Lenny did not leap. Lenny was behind the pack and he was getting further behind. He said when he was running, he just, he felt very preoccupied with his hands. He was just wringing his hands. He said he was just coming around the last curve. He said the father stood up and begin to pump his fist into the air and go, go Lenny, go son, you're doing great son, go Lenny, go Lenny. 
And he turned around and he told the group behind him, that's my son Lenny, isn't he doing great? And they're all like, uh uh-huh. And when he got to the, came close to the finish line, go Lenny, go Lenny. And he turned around again, he said, this is Lenny, he's finishing the race. And everyone clapped dutifully. And when Lenny finished, he's just sitting there and sweating and exhausted. And the father made his way out of the stands and he went down and embraced his son. Kevin Young said when he watched that father embrace his son, he began to weep. He said, because it's like the Lord just spoke to his heart. He said, son, you're a lot like Lenny in this race I've called you to run. You are way behind the pack. You're exhausted and confused. He said, but son, I'm pulling for you. I'm cheering you on. I love you more than that man loves his son. Go, Lenny. You know, if you feel like a Lenny sometimes, isn't it good to know that God, he sees so much more in you. He loves you. He wants a personal relationship with you. He's cheering you on. Go, Lenny. Would you bow your head for a moment? If you're listening to me here online, or you're here this morning, and you say, you know what? I've never made that connection with the one who loves me the most. I've never made him the Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe you're saying, I did that, but I walked away from him. He never left you. You walked away from him. If that's you this morning and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I want to I connect for the first time. I want to reconnect. We're going to say a prayer here. It's a short prayer. It's a powerful prayer. But it's a, it's a prayer that will absolutely change your life and begin to take you from fear to faith. It starts with faith in him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. But if that's you that I'm talking to this morning, you're saying, Alan, I want to I connect with the Lord or I want to reconnect with the Lord. Will you pray for me? Would you shoot your hand up just real quick across this auditorium and say, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Appreciate your courage. Not easy to do that. Now, listen, we're going to pray. For Obviously, if you're online, I can't see you. And so uh, if you're by yourself, pray this prayer with us. If you're with others, pray it quietly to yourself. But we're going to if you're here, pray this prayer with us out loud. We're going to join you as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior is the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. No head still bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you. I just rejoice with those who have come out of darkness into light for those who come back home. Lord, we rejoice with them and for the rest of us. Thank you that you open the door, you knock at our door for a relationship with us. You love us individually, personally, and we thank you for that. Thank you. This year can be different. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.